0: You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today I'm starting a new study uh, about the Day of the Lord, which I'm calling a Day of the Lord Themes Study. So this is a Bible prophecy related study and it's something that I think has a lot of utility. So what I mean by Day of the Lord Themes is... This is something that I restricted to just the prophets in the Old Testament. So I stuck with, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all the way up through the minor prophets and Zechariah and Zephaniah and Joel, and all of them. And I read through all those books and I looked for places that the end times were talked about more or less unambiguously. So when I say the end times, I mean the day of the Lord, whether it's what we typically think of the day of the Lord, which is sort of the judgment section, which I have called the day of the Lord themes, part one judgment, in which I include things like the judgment of Edom, Moab, Ammon, uh, Lebanon, the, the earthquakes and, um, you know, the sun, moon and stars dimming and the, the, all the different things that are associated, associated with God's judgment in the day of the Lord. But that's not the only thing in those passages that shows up. In fact, it's uh, probably the greater part of the Day of the Lord themes comes from the second part, which I have titled uh, Day of the Lord themes, part two, kingdom. And this would include things like the in-gathering, of Israel back to the land, uh, the spirit-filled remnant or the new covenant with Israel, the Messiah, of course, ruling over uh, the millennial and eternal kingdoms, the nations' pilgrimages to Mount Zion, converted nations, and how they give tribute to the Lord in, in, in uh, Zion. We could go on and on, how Israel dwells in securely, the rebuilt waste places, all the different fruitful things, and we'll go through some of that as we progress here. But so I've, I've divided up these things that show up in the prophets, whether they are judgment related or kingdom related. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this is that, first of all, there is so much here that uh, you wouldn't even believe it. And I'm finding things that I didn't even know existed. So as a study about Bible prophecy, it's amazing. Like, let me just give you an example. Uh, um, Did you know that in the end times, the, the Nile River will dry up as a part of the judgment? It's mentioned multiple times yeah mentioned one two three four five and five different chapters the nile in egypt uh dries up so that the messiah jesus can cross it as a part of his judgment of egypt in the end times it's just like or for example the waters in the kingdom section the living waters that uh that go forth from from zion um that is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight potential chapters in which these living, this living fountain of waters that flow from the Lord's house in Jerusalem, um, like it gives you all this detail that I never would have known. For example by comparing scripture with scripture, and we know we're talking about the same thing because it's always in the same context, like after the day of the Lord, after the Messiah, it's in the temple, after the, you know, all these other themes start to come together, the nations are coming to Mount Zion and everything. We see that these waters, like Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12 is probably one of the more clear passages where it, it shows that these waters coming from the temple literally start to restore the land that has been destroyed in the day of the Lord. So, you know, if you read the book of Revelation, you've got every living thing in the sea is dead, and, and everything, earthquakes have basically flattened everything else, the only, only thing left standing essentially is this plateau of Mount Zion, and these massive waters are flowing out from the east, I think it's the east and west, I could be wrong about that, from Mount Zion, and they and they are literally restoring life to the world, once they hit the seas, the fish start swimming where those, where those waters are, it's every, the vegetation is essentially, in other words, it gives you this picture of the end times that you might not have known if you hadn't compared this much scripture with this much other scripture. You know, I think a lot of times we think the new heavens and the new earth just sort of wink into existence. Like, and I'm sure God could do that if He wanted to, but it seems like, and this comes uh, becomes more clear as we look at other themes like the re- rebuilt waste places after the day of the Lord. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven chapters at least that discuss the waste places uh being rebuilt after the day of the Lord. And you get this sense that this isn't a immediately restored world. It's all part of a slower process. I think you can even see that in the end part of Ezekiel, which which in and of itself is the reason people reject the idea that uh Ezekiel couldn't be something that's happening in the millennium, because in their view, God has has re- immediately snapped his fingers and restored the world. And yet uh in Ezekiel, the last part of Ezekiel, you have people sort of you know working on it you know the world is is in process at that point and i think um anyway you get little little bits of stuff like that i tried to be very careful about what i chose um here because because there are places especially in the prophets that are what you might call a day of the lord but not part of the end times in other words they're probably near fulfillment stuff like Obviously, in the prophets, you're dealing a lot with the northern kingdom being destroyed by Assyria and being taken away. And then, of course, a big portion is also the southern kingdom being destroyed by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And those are near fulfillments that are very similar to a lot of what will happen in the end times. So you may ask the question, how did I distinguish uh, between something that was probably, could have been taken as an in-time day of the Lord passage, but I chose it to be, I didn't include it because I thought it was more of a near fulfillment. And it was actually easier than you might think. And part of that is these themes that start to develop. It, it almost seems to me that God was, in his uh, uh, writing of the scriptures through the prophets, was very reserved as to when he would use some of these themes. Not always, but but a lot of these themes do get used in places that are... Um, you know, and it might even be in the same chapter. Sometimes it'll be talking about specifically, it'll say Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and take you away and he's going to imprison you in, you know, very plain language, hard to make an end times thing because we know Nebuchadnezzar took them away, but yet it it might shift at some point to clearly now be talking about something eschatological. And, And a lot of times what would be the clue is that something in there just has not happened yet. It didn't happen. Uh, for example, I think one of the things in the uh, first part of this study we'll look at is the specific nations that are judged. You wouldn't believe how prominent the destruction of Edom, Moab, and Ammon, uh, basically Jordan. It's one of the most prevalent themes about the day of the Lord. It's this consistent theme about how, uh, you know, I got some uh, some things here I could read to you about it, about how Edom, when Babylon was destroyed, when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Babylon, Edom and Jordan, which was, you know, Esau, so related to Israel, kind of looked on and helped Nebuchadnezzar. Same thing with Ammon and Moab and Jordan. They sort of like helped, they they betrayed Israel. And I'm telling you, it is one of the most consistent themes that they will be repaid with utter destruction in the day of the Lord, in almost a specific kind of destruction. But like, uh, here and it hasn't happened yet obviously jordan is still a place that you can go and it's not these the, the things that are said about it are things like this edom shall become a horror everyone who passes by it will be horrified and hiss because of its all its disasters as when sodom and gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown says the lord no man shall dwell there no man shall sojourn there behold a lion coming up from the jungle of jordan against the perennial pasture will suddenly make him run away from her um Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended and taking vengeance on them. Therefore says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off its man and beast. And I will make it desolate from Timon, even to Dedan, they shall fall by the sword and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom. But, uh, and you know, go ahead. and I could read many other passages where Edom is specifically called out entire chapters in the Bible are written about it, but that's not it. That's not just it, you know. Moab and Ammon are mentioned in similar contexts. And that has its own utility for several. There's two things I think about the Edom destruction that gives us more information about Bible prophecy that we wouldn't otherwise have known. For example, there is one section, which I included as sort of a subsection of the prophecies about Edom that haven't happened yet, uh, is that the Lord himself seems to destroy Edom. And the themes here are very consistent. Uh, uh, themes such as the, it makes it clear it's me, the Lord. No one was with me. That this consistent theme. I've got one, two, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different chapters in which I believe this theme theme is being uh, reiterated. Some of them, most of them, specifically mention Edom or Basra, and others don't. But it's the same blood-soaked, sword, Messiah theme. By the way, I think that you can actually see a picture of this to a certain extent in the book of Revelation uh, when this gets its ultimate fulfillment. But let me give you some examples of this. There's a famous passage in Isaiah 63 that starts off like this. Who is this that comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra, which is also a kind of synonymous with uh, Edom? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who has tread the wine presses. And the answer comes from this, uh, from obviously Jesus himself. I have trod in the wine press alone and from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and the year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the people's in my anger i made them drunk in my wrath and i poured out their life blood on the earth this is reiterated this sim, we've see this uh jeremiah talks about it in several occasions the same themes about the judgment and the sword being and the 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 messiah being a res, uh, the person who does it on edom in the day of the lord so you can kind of get a sense that by by comparing scripture with scripture by sort of bunching these all up into their like categories we start to develop things that i'm qu- quite honestly amazed that somebody hasn't done this before because it's like a key to so much information about the end times. One of the reasons I wanted to do this study in the first place, in fact the reason that I started this study, I thought I was just going to do a study on the in gathering. I knew for example that there was a major theme in the prophets about what we call the in gathering, where God gathers the people of Israel back to their land. And the first thing I fa- and so I basically was starting to do word searches and I was I, what I was going to do is do kind of a spreadsheet to look at these passages where the in-gathering was specifically mentioned and then start to accumulate other things in the context of those passages that are clearly specifically in the direct context of the in-gathering and start to develop uh, a picture of what was what would be going on during that in-gathering. So, um, but what I quickly found out is that it, it quickly overwhelmed me because the in-gathering I knew it was a big theme, but I had no idea it was the biggest theme. Maybe the biggest theme is this in gathering, um, and there is a lot to look at here. So, for example. One of the things I was talking about with context, I have a second sort of subcategory about the end gathering, which is probably, I'd say this is probably 35 chapters at the very least that talk about the end gathering at some point or another. And about half of those I have here, I chose because they were passages that specifically talk about the end gathering, but are also very explicitly after the day of the Lord. Like it, it says, you know, after, you know. The world, you know, the judge, the judgment of all the nations, and the end of the world. You know, <laughs> didn't say the end of the world, but it's explicit. After that, the end gathering happens, and of course, we know that because because when you can start when you look at the end gathering theme, you immediately know it's it's directly tied to what I call another theme: repentant Israel, spirit filled remnant, new covenant, which is probably the, one of the second most prominent themes. There's probably twenty five, thirty chapters here about how Israel in the end times. Uh, after the day of the Lord will be repentant. They're, you know no more idols and, and they'll their spirit filled in a new covenant and they will uh, th- this moment, uh, is associated with post-day of the Lord, and that in the same passages you can also expand to say, uh, for example, the dwelling securely and the rebuilt waste places. Two incredibly popular themes that probably have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven different chapters. For example, talk about the rebuilt waste places, and some of them in great detail, but. Also, in the context of the rebuilt waste place theme, you have the gathering, post gathering, um, you know, restored to, to you know, uh, um, Israel. So it's all connected, in, if you will. And you start to develop this picture that this in gathering is critically important to Israel. I mean, it's the, it's the, promise that Israel was given in the 70 weeks prophecy. 70 weeks are determined for your people to make an end of sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That's what it's talking about. The, the regathering is to a, uh, a repentant Israel after the 70th week is ended. And again, I think you can see pictures of this in the book of Revelation. And when we get to the individual studies, I'll talk about that kind of stuff. I know a lot of people say, and the reason, you know, showing my hand here, I I don't believe, for example, that the 1947 or 48 uh, uh, or 1967 or any of that stuff about what is currently believed, people literally say that that was the ingathering of Israel. And I wanted to find a way to prove that it couldn't be. And not even a dual prophecy. I think that's what a lot of people think. That oh, it's sort of a near prophecy. You know, they're gathered back, but no, they're not repentant or anything. What I show here is that it can't be true because there's another theme. For example, that uh, about the gathering that they can't lose the land afterwards. So I wanted to find uh, Israel will never again be scattered or ashamed or conquered after the gathering. That's a new another theme that I probably have one, two, three, four. I don't know twenty. Uh, different chapters that that specifically say never again will x happen after the gathering happens so it's meant to be a promise once the gathering happens you can be secure that it that you won't ever be taken by any nation ever again once the messiah is ruling over you once you're dwelling securely you can't lose it again that's um, I keep saying it over and over with the Gog Magog study that we did. That that was the purpose of the Gog Magog war to show at the end of the night messages that started in what is Ezekiel thirty-six that kept saying, "When the Messiah is there, after the gathering, after the rebuilt waste places, once you're gathered, you can't lose it again." And here's a picture of that. Uh, you know, these nations will try to come against you, and the Lord Himself will defeat them. They won't be able to get you. That's a that's a, a fulfillment of the promises that they can't lose it again. And yet. We know, as Bible prophecy students, that they literally must lose the land again. We know it for, in a lot of different ways that could prove it. One I had just been thinking about recently is the abomination of desolation event. You know, a lot of people um, believe that in the Olivet Discourse, like Matthew 24 and Mark 13, when it talks about when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet uh, you know, flee, It's a command from the Lord to flee Jerusalem when you see the abomination of desolation. And most people believe that that's talking to, you know, they don't believe that the church is on the earth at that point, so they think it's talking about Israel. So even by their own sort of uh, uh, um, reckoning of the situation, they believe that there should be no more faithful Israelites left in Israel. They They should flee, or they're going to be killed. So they got options. They can flee or kill. But in other words, Israel will lose the land again. They will be scattered according to the Olivet Discourse, according to the Lord's teaching on the end times. Anyway, all that to say, I think that there is a lot of things that we're going to discover together uh, in the course of this study. I'm going to just read through quickly the different themes I have here and briefly mention what I mean by them And then I'll close it out here. You can see all the different scripture references I have here. You can go to BibleProphecyTalk.com. The name of this podcast is A Day of the Lord Theme Study, Part 1, in which uh, was published probably February 11th, 2023, if I end up publishing it today, but certainly around there. And so I'll just go through them, and then we'll close out. So I have the specific nations judged, the first ones being Edom, Moab, and Ammon. I also have Lebanon being judged. Lots of passages about Lebanon, Egypt being judged in the day of the Lord, Israel purified through fire, i.e., Jacob's trouble. I have one. To, I have quite a few passages on that, and that's an interesting one to compare scripture with scripture on Gaza and that. I include a lot of different uh, places that I put in that place, that idea, which is Ashdod and Ashkelon and Ekron and the Philistines and the Cherethites and the seacoasts, etc. So those are judged during the day of the Lord. I have those passages. The Philistines, Assyria judged, Ethiopia, Cush judged, And then I have a judgment of the nations general, which I will probably subdivide because there's some really interesting things about this, like the gathering of the nations, which I think may be a Gog Magog thing in which he quote manifests his holiness through judgment of the nations. There are like six different chapters that talk about that use that language manifests his holiness through the judgment of nations. And, um, I think that that may be distinct from some of the Edom or specific nations being judged. I think that the Armageddon slash Gog Magog war, the the near-far fulfillment there uh, is, I need to subdivide this judgment of nations, and we'll do that as we go to the specific studies there. Some miscellaneous themes on the judgment section, the sun, moon, and stars growing dark in the day of the Lord. Um, The assembly being gathered away from harm, i.e. the rapture, there's probably about oh, I don't know, five or six passages in the Old Testament that seem to me to be clearly talking about the rapture. Um, The heavens and the earth will shake, trumpet and battle cry. uh, The Nile will dry up for the crossing of the Messiah, which is an interesting one that I didn't know even existed. There's this sickle harvest winepress blood associated with judgment theme that shows up about five times. And we also will see that in the book of Revelation. There's this, uh, about three passages I have here about the total destruction of all the earth. And it goes to links to say, man, beasts, and fish, and the entire earth are destroyed in the day of the Lord. So an all encompassing total destruction, uh, a large fiery army. This is a, difficult one because it almost seemed I can't quite figure some of these out I, and I've got to do more study on it but like Joel 2 2 through 5 6 through 7 Isaiah 66 15 through 16 some interesting fiery armies I'm not quite sure what's happening there uh prepared for sacrifice in other words a bird feast which we see certainly in Ezekiel 39 4 Zephaniah 1 some other places shepherds judged a lot of talk about the old and about the uh the, the different shepherds being judged it's a different theme. Man low, God exalted on the day of the Lord. Just sort of a regular theme that shows up a few times. Uh, The hosts of heaven imprisoned and judged during the day of the Lord. This is, um, so angels being judged during the day of the Lord. So now we move on to the day of the Lord themes, part two, the kingdom. As I've already mentioned, Israel being gathered back into the land. Huge theme, probably the biggest theme. Uh, repentant Israel, spirit-filled remnant, new covenant theme. Many, many, many passages about that. Certainly the Messiah ruling and reigning uh, as the post day of the Lord, or I guess you could say during the day of the Lord. Lots of stuff there. Nations pilgrimage to Israel, converted nations, nations bow to Israel. Israel never again scattered or ashamed or conquered after the gathering. Israel will dwell securely after the day of the Lord. Jacob slash the whole house of Israel reconciled. So they probably have about I don't know, 10 or 12 different chapters here that mention how specifically that both the northern and, and, and southern kingdoms will be united in the day of the Lord. There will no longer be a division between them after the gathering, etc. Uh, Rebuild waste places, fruitful Israel. So it talks about how the land will just be extremely fruitful after the day of the Lord law goes forth from the lord at zion it's just uses a specific language probably about another 10 times here or so in different places that talks about how basically it's trying to say or it is saying that the 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 lord is establishing the law for all the nations i mean he is the authority he's ruling in a very real way from israel uh multiple uh included a sub subcategory there called salvation on mount zion Uh, Living fountains of water flow from the Lord's house. Also, I subdivided that one into water in the desert. I think it's the same thing. There's some passages that uh, talk about how the desert springs to life because of these streams of water that come into it. I think that comparing scripture with scripture, we see that that water in the desert in, let's say, Isaiah 43, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 41, are actually the same waters in the desert spoken of by Ezekiel 47, Zechariah, uh, and Joel, and, and so on. Uh, where it's more explicit that it's coming from the throne of God in the restored Jerusalem. Uh, Mount Zion is the highest mountain. All others are a plain. I've got one, two, three, four, five, what, six different chapters that that say that more or less explicitly. Good shepherds are given. Well, we had the shepherds judged and we have them replaced by good shepherds. And the Lord gives and withholds rain. It's just something that shows up about three times. And I don't think I mentioned this, but I only, what I consider to be a theme here is things that showed up at least three times. So I excluded a lot of things that certainly could be a part, considered a part of the day of the Lord, like uh, Elijah the prophet shows up before the day of the Lord, and all these things that we know are a part of the day of the Lord, but we don't have very many instances of it in the prophet, so I couldn't quite consider it a theme. So, that is what we're going to do. I think in the next uh, uh, podcast, I'll choose one of these things specifically, and we're just going to really dig deep and try to figure out if we can something like what does it mean by the Nile drawing up for the crossing of the Messiah on the day of the Lord? Let's let's look at those passages and 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 see if we can develop exactly what this is talking about and when this is supposedly happening in the course of Bible prophecy. And I think in the course of doing this, that we're all going to learn a whole lot more about Bible prophecy. And uh, so, yeah, you can check out this list of, I've of, of put it all here on this uh, episode show notes. You could probably see it in your podcast catcher or just go to BibleProphecyTalk.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.